The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. Know people harp on the last place thing, but essentially, what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. This might be a first, a weekend edition of the Fenway Rundown. We're not going to make this a practice because we don't want the higher-ups to get any ideas. But on Saturday uh, afternoon, we're coming to you. I'm Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam, and we consider this an emergency version of the Fenway Rundown. We don't have a fun siren or anything to blare or breaking news horn or anything like that. But last night, the Red Sox did make a move. It is the first pretty significant move of their offseason. For those of you who missed it, I don't know how you could uh, because... We covered it all over the site, and it's been everywhere. The Red Sox have signed Lucas Giolito. It's a two-year, $38.5 million deal, $19 million in the first year, complicated conditional option, uh, and the Red Sox have finally a starting pitcher. Last night when the news broke, first thing I did was confirm it. Next thing I did was send it out on our insider text program. Sean, how do people get access to that to have up to the second news to their phone? Wow, that was that was smooth. Uh, I was wondering how we were going to make that segue, and yet you executed that hairpin turb like um, like a master. Thank uh, you. The Red Sox Insider Text Program, of which Chris speaks, is a fantastic opportunity for you to stay in touch with all the Red Sox news in the off season, in spring training, during the season. You get a chance to send us your questions and comments, and we respond directly to you, whether it be your phone, your tablet, your laptop. It's easy to join. All you have to do is text the word join to 617-751-6257. There is a 14-day free trial period, after which you will be charged $4.99 a month. We have a lot of people really happy to take part. They're enjoying the give and take. So are we. So join us as part of your New Year's resolution to stay better informed on the Red Sox. So last night, as I said, in the news breaks, uh, pulling back the curtain, had a little inkling something was going on, was trying to confirm it. And of course, the Jeff Passan tweet showed up on my phone, and I was not surprised at all to see that it was Lucas Giolito who the Red Sox were adding. This is a guy, Sean, that the two of us have both identified since really late in the season as a potential target. We had heard that the previous front office, the under Heim Bloom, was did a lot of homework on him during the season. They were interested in him, um, and were you know looking obviously for a guy to provide innings. And we heard this week from John Heyman they had big interest in him. You know, I had some people confirm that they were involved. Uh, so to me, this is one of those signings that did not come out of nowhere it came out of uh you know kind of the expectations i have my thoughts but first your general reaction to the move yeah as i wrote in the column friday night uh, i think it has to be placed into context i think 
independent of everything, you look at this and say, um, well, this isn't a bad move. There's some upside here. This is a guy who has been a pretty consistent innings eater, um, a guy who has a high compete level, who is considered a good teammate, um, someone that was a, a Cy Young Award vote-getting pitcher for three years from 2018 through 2021, I think it was. Um, he has never made fewer than 29 starts in a full-length season. So, as we said, he takes the ball every five days. He is certainly coming off the worst year of his career. I think if you look behind the numbers there, there's some reasons for that, some of them off the field, some of them had to do with his pitch mix. Um, I like the move, my, but it forces me to very quickly answer or ask what else is coming. Because while it is a step forward for them, as I wrote, uh, it, it can only be a really positive signing if it's in conjunction with some other stuff. If Lucas Giolito is your big move and everything else you're going to do after this is more secondary or back of the rotation when it comes to pitching, then I think you're asking more of him that he can deliver. If there are plans to get another big free agent starter or trade for one, then I, I think this move looks better uh, in hindsight. But I think we're going to need a while to put it into context. I will note now that two of the three Mass Live Red Sox writers had Lucas Giolito as part of the Red Sox opening day rotation when we did our predictions in early November. That was myself and Chris Smith, so some applause is necessary from not just Sean, but the crowd as well. I like the move just because I think that this is a guy who, again, innings are very important. You know, he's one of only a handful of guys to throw, you know, and if you prorate the 2020 season, 175 innings or 160 innings, I think, in the last few years uh, for six years in a row. You know, that to me is shouldn't be um, understated. You know, I think that that's very important here. And there is still upside. He's a guy who has been, you know, at the top of the league previously. This year, you know, we've heard it, you know, from different people we've spoken to, you know, there there was a lot going on. The divorce uh, that is pretty public and played out during the All-Star break took a toll on Lucas Giolito like it would during on anybody. Moving teams twice in that stretch after, you know, spending his whole career with the White Sox. I know he was traded as a minor leaguer, but, um, or, but you know, spending his whole career in Chicago and then moving to the Angels, that not working out a few weeks later, going through the waiver process, going to Cleveland, like there was a lot of upheaval. And I think, you know, we forget sometimes these people are human. So for him to settle in here in Boston um, and work with Andrew Bailey, I think is important. You know, I think it's, again, as Sean said, you know, one of these types of moves that is a good first step. We'll see how it plays out uh, from here. As you look at the rotation now, you know, you have Bayo, you have Giolito. The common theme between those two guys and Red Sox stats does an excellent job kind of recapping this for everybody out there. But those two guys in the second half had two of the worst fastballs in baseball. They were hit extremely hard. Or seamers. Yep. And, you know, those are going to be – that's going to be a huge task for Andrew Bailey. I know there's a lot of hype around Andrew Bailey, more than you probably have ever seen for a pitching coach coming in here and fixing different things. Um that's a huge piece of getting these guys on track. And then you have, you know, obviously sale, whatever he gives you behind them, Crawford, Pavetta, Whitlock, Hauk, all these guys that we've talked about still in the mix. If you're the Red Sox, what do you do next when it comes to the rotation? 
Well, I think that's going to be a key to this offseason, and it's a question that we do not have an answer for. It's hard to see them, frankly, pivoting to another top free agent starter at this point. We we have little evidence that they are serious bidders on either uh, Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery, and I would caution that Montgomery probably doesn't qualify as a, certainly not as a number one uh, maybe in a best-case scenario, he could be a number two. And yet it doesn't seem they're going to be in that uh, field of teams willing to spend $200 million or more on either of those guys. It seems like Giolito was their big spend when it came to free agents starting pitching. So that leads us to, well, what could they do either – um, on a lesser scale in free agency, or is there a big trade, uh, another shoe to drop? Uh, can they deal from some excess outfield to address some of the starting pitching? Could they package one of the premier prospects to get a good starter? Those things remain in play, but they're not going to be easy to do. We've seen uh, that the trade market for starting pitching has been very, very slow to develop. First, everyone was waiting for Yamamoto. Now everyone is waiting for Montgomery and Snell to sign. Uh, at what point do some teams who are frozen out of the free agent pitching class turn to trades and how much can the Red Sox reasonably expect to get in such a move? Those things are all unanswered. As I said, Giolito to me has the ceiling of a very good, dependable number three. That's not to be dismissed on a rotation that was 24th in baseball last year in ERA, even lower when it came to innings provided. He's going to change both of those things. They're better with Lucas Giolito than they are without him, but he by himself does not make this rotation playoff caliber, not by a long shot. And there are, you know, that next tier free agents below Montgomery and Snell. Unclear if the Red Sox are involved there. Imanaga is a guy we've talked about. His free agency will heat up in the coming weeks with the January 11th deadline to sign on his posting period. Marcus Stroman, who I've said before, and I'll say again, I don't think would be a good fit in Boston. He's had multiple spats with Alex Cora and other members of the Red Sox organization in the past. Knows David Price very well. David Price might be a guy to scare him off from coming here, but there is the Craig Breslow connection, so you can't rule it out. James Paxton, the guy that surfaced, as we talked about, I think yesterday is another, you know, he could come back and they've been in communication with him. Um, I think that the trade route is the real one. You know, I think that they still need to go out and try to find that controllable starter. It's very clear now they're dangling their outfielders in trades. The three to watch, Rafaela, Abreu, Duran. Does that open the door for Teoscar Hernandez? Does that open the door for another move? You know, time will tell, but... Um, you know, I think it's it's big move on the trade market or bust at this point in terms of getting somebody better than Giolito. Sean, to you, I mean, does a rotation of, let's say, Bayo, asterisk sale, Giolito, Paxton, Pavetta, Crawford, is that good enough if they bring Paxton back too? Or is it just kind of, you know, rolling the balls out like you did last year and hoping for upside and health? Yeah, I, I, I don't think that having Paxton as the accompanying move to Giolito is nearly enough for them. Uh, Paxton's not a bad option at the back end. Uh, he did pitch well for three months before kind of hitting a wall. Maybe that should have been expected given his injury history over the previous two or three years in which he pitched so little. 
Uh, presumably, he would be able to give them more next year, but he is going to be in his mid thirties, uh, and there's some some risk and uh, uh, gamble that they'd have to take there. Um, that's why I think it's imperative that either they get in on the high end of the free agent market, which you and I believe is probably a long shot, mm-hmm. uh, or figure out a way to package either from an extra out for, from one of their young outfielders or somebody from high on the prospect list to, you know, get somebody like a Lazardo uh, from Miami, um, maybe a Cabrera from Miami. Uh, we know that they're not sold on the idea of trading for a rental or a guy that is approaching free agency, someone like Bieber or Cease or some others that are out there. Um, frankly, it's not a good pitching market. And as we said, it's been held up by a very slow-moving free agent pitching market. So uh, all these things have to be determined. But right now, in my mind, there's still a lot of work to do, and there are fewer and fewer options for them from which to choose to to get those things accomplished. Before we talk a little bit more about the outfielders, just the structure of this Giolito contract. I think it's creative, and I think it's worth kind of breaking down a little bit so you know when you first hear these deals they're painted in different ways whether kind of the team's leaking them or the agency's leaking them or whoever the reporter's getting it from uh in this case two-year 38 and a half million dollar deal probably not how we should be viewing it realistically it's a one-year 19 million dollar contract with a player option and so that breaks down to this you know giolito is going to be paid 18 million next year there's a $1 million buyout if he exercises the opt-out. So 18 plus 1 guaranteed 19. Thank you to my math teachers at Mellican Middle School for that. Um, if he has a good year, he will opt out. We've seen guys do that before. Uh, we've seen kind of similar to Justin Turner last year. It's kind of a similar structure there, a little more complicated. If he has a bad year or a mediocre year and he doesn't think that he can get more than $19 million on the open market, he will opt in, and his twenty twenty five salary is twenty nine is nineteen million. If he doesn't opt out, then there's a conditional option for twenty twenty six. There's some complications there based on innings. There's a fourteen million dollar club option. If he gets over one hundred forty innings in twenty twenty five, he can opt out. All this different stuff. But really, I think how fans need to look at this is exactly like the Justin Turner deal. This is a one year contract. And if he pitches well, he'll be a free agent. The Red Sox, I think, will be happy with that. Just like, well, are you are you upset that Justin Turner opted out after a pretty good season? No. Um, and so if he does come back and he opts in at the end of the year, it's probably because something uh, went awry. And uh, so this yep. is not, not a, you know, the, their chance he'll be here for three years, I think, is, is pretty slim. Um, it's just there's a lot of kind of escapes built in for him to take a larger bite at the free agent Apple. This is how free agency works right now. I mean, the guy. Yeah, is, no one signs a pillow contract for one year anymore. Right. I mean, is, he's is, he's not even 30. You know, he's going to try to get, if he has a good year, a long-term deal at 30 or a long-term deal at 31, you know, so. Yeah, and look, I think it's worthwhile pointing out that for whatever you think of this deal, uh, the total value is about half of what people thought Giolito was going to end up with. I, we we heard a lot of people expecting that he'd be maybe just under twenty million on the AAV, but that he could get three, if not four years, 
um, guaranteed as a pretty healthy guy who's not yet 30, who's had some success in the big leagues. Uh, you know, I think if a couple of weeks ago someone had forecast a four times 20 deal for Lucas Giolito, a lot of people would have thought, yeah, I, I can see that happening. So the fact that they got it for less than a, you know, a, a guarantee of $40 million is maybe something of a victory for the Red Sox. But two things uh, regarding the contract. One, I do not understand why teams continually do opt-outs. It used to be the kind of thing that if it separated you for a great player like Bryce Harper or someone of that caliber, you're willing to give the opt-out. The other team you're bidding against doesn't. You win the player. Okay, I get that. But as you spelled out, Chris, there's no upside for a team on an opt-out. If the guy overperforms and is better than even you had hoped, he's going to leave and get more money elsewhere. If he underperforms and doesn't pitch to the value of the contract, he stays and you're stuck with another bad year right. of overpaying him. There's no upside for teams. It's beyond me why they continue to do this. Well, the other thing that I think that's instructive here is that the options and the AAV here pretty closely line up with the value of a qualifying offer. And there was already some talk last night on Twitter that, well, in, in a maybe worst case scenario for the Red Sox, he has a pretty good year, decides he can do better, goes out under free agency. At the very least, they could offer him that qualifying offer with virtually no risk of him accepting that because he's already got that as part of it without opting out, right? So, you know, they protect themselves that way. That's the one upside. If he ends up leaving and opting out, they can get a draft pick out of it. And maybe, you know, you get a decent year from him. Uh, he outperforms, goes and uh, back out onto the market. You get the benefit of a strong 2024 season and you get a pick out of it. Not the worst case scenario, but I think it was interesting to see the numbers and how close those line up to what the value of the qualifying offers have been in recent years. Now that qualifying offer, because it's the mean of the top 20% of players uh, salaries is probably going to go up because of the likes of Yamamoto and especially Otani that'll lift that number up higher than it's been. I think it was just over 20 this past year. Maybe it gets to 21 or so, but it's close enough that there's a correlation between what he would make if he stays and what the qualifying offer would be if he opts out. And on your question about opt-outs, my guess, and not knowing exactly how this happens behind the scenes, is that his camp at CAA probably told teams, this is the structure we're looking to do, where you know he gets the one-year guarantee, but he also gets the safety net of the opt-out, and he can opt in and guarantee himself you know, $19 million for the next year. He's basically... You know, in a way, betting on himself on the one-year deal, but also plenty of protection where, you know, if he has a bad year this year, well, maybe he goes out and has a good year in 25 and he can hit free agency then. You know, those types of things, I think. Um, and the Red Sox protecting themselves with that, you know, other option where if he, you know, gets hurt or something, they have a team option. There's all, you know, I'll protect myself here, you protect yourself there. I just think the market, to your point, has gotten to a point where, you know, these guys are just saying, hey, what we're going to do is one year with an opt-out, and that's the structure. What are you going to do money-wise? You know, and I think that that's how he entered this offseason. If a team or, was going to give him, you know, five for 110, probably would have taken that. But 
when that's not on the table, it's probably like, let's, let's attack this in a year. You know, things are going to be different. Personal life's going to be better. You know, you're going to be in Boston for the year, you know, pending a trade. Um, like just, you know, we're going to bet on ourselves here. And if not, Hey, we come back for 19 million. Or it could be even more basic. And that is both the Mets and Red Sox offered somewhere in the neighborhood of two and 38 to 40. And they decided, well, whoever allows the opt-out will win the player. And the Mets didn't want to, and the Red Sox agreed. As you said, we don't know. Maybe we'll know a little bit more as details eventually trickle out when these things are made official and the team makes the announcement. We'll know more about performance bonuses that are in there probably and some of the back and forth that went on during the negotiating, but could be either one of those scenarios. Last thing, and I'll be writing about what's next for the Red Sox this afternoon. I think we both agree that, you know, the outfield trade situation is very real. We heard last night uh, that there is a chance that they move even more than one outfielder if the deal is right. Obviously, there's interest in Teoscar Hernandez. They've been linked to him, and and there's a few other guys on the open market. We've seen the shuffle Verdugo out, O'Neal in. And I think we identified those three young outfielders as trade candidates, Abreu, Rafaela, and Duran. If I'm the Red Sox, I see the I see the uh, upside of trading Duran and selling high, but he also hasn't tr- proven major league track record. I see the possibility of even selling high on a less sample size with Abreu, and with Rafaela, he could kind of be the one that got away. But with real concerns and his swing and miss, maybe a team overvalues him, and you kind of realize that this guy is never going to be that great offensive player. I mean, there's cases to be made for any of the three of them. I think we both agree that Yoshida is untradeable with the contract and, you know, the the second half he had, and they're probably not really entertaining that. But if you're looking at any of those three guys, who would you want to deal or who would you be most willing to part ways with? I, I think Duran is the guy I give up. I think there's some value there. And, yes, you run the risk that, you know, he becomes a uh, Jacoby Ellsbury-type player. And I mean that in the good sense, not in the injury-stricken sense, that Ellsbury was an above-average defender, uh, an elite base stealer, and a pretty good offensive player for a number of years. Maybe Duran can be that guy, um, but to me, they have plenty of outfield options coming between Abreu, Rafaela, and Anthony, and Duran is a guy that uh, has not a lot of service time, but just enough particularly last year, to convince some other teams that there's more there for him. Uh, and I'd be comfortable moving Duran for, a, a you know, and they'll probably put another prospect in the deal uh, to to get a, another quality starting pitcher. Yeah, I, I see that. I also think that, you know, this guy was one of the best hitters in baseball for at points during the season. I think people have forgotten that a little bit. Hopefully the teams are dealing with for their case, for their sake is not, have not, but um, I don't know. I feel like, you know, he's, he's just kind of, you know, proven that he can be uh, very, very, very good. And I think there's also a, a part of, you know, I know it's not Heim Bloom and it's not Dave Dombrowski who drafted him, but just the idea of kind of seeing through the whole Jaron Duran experience. There was a lot of ups and downs. There was a lot of downs early, as we talked about, as have been very well documented. He came out on the other side. Maybe they want to reap the benefits of that long term. Yeah, look, think- I'm not saying it's not without risk. Uh, yeah. You know, as I said, he could, 
the, 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 the gamble you take here is that he turns out to be a Jacoby Ellsbury type player in his prime and you've traded him away uh, and watch him flourish with another team for another, you know, four and a half, five years, at least there is, there is a risk there, but it's one that, is probably going to be necessary in order to acquire another quality starting pitcher. That obviously would open the door up for Teoscar Hernandez. Unclear if they are still one of the aggressors there. Something to monitor in the coming days. We'll be back with three Fenway Rundown episodes next week. But first, Sean, before we let everybody go, tell us one more time how they can text us all the time. Couldn't be more simple. All you have to do is text the word JOIN to 617-751-6257. There is a free 14-day trial, followed by a monthly charge of $499. But that, we believe, is a scant price to pay to be able to communicate with all of us year-round, Chris Smith, Chris Cotillo, and myself. Opinions, proposals, we mean trade proposals, not marriage proposals. Uh, Questions, anything you want to talk about when it comes to baseball, We'll get back to you directly on your laptop, on your device, on your phone, whatever it is you use to navigate through this complicated world of ours. This is actually pretty simple. Join us on Red Sox Insider Text. Next week, busy week on the Fenway Rundown, we will have Sean and Chris Smith reveal their Hall of Fame ballots, which is always a fun exercise that hopefully I'll get to participate in in a few years when I'm eligible, planning a couple of guests as well. Uh, not exactly sure of the days because we know there will be now a Lucas Giolito press conference that we will need to attend. But I always appreciate you listening, even on a Saturday with the Fenway Rundown. This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.